Welcome to the second episode of the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Mara, your host and the editor-in-chief of Triathlete. Today, we've got Flora Duffy joining us from South Africa, where she's in lockdown and not allowed to leave the house. The Xterran IT world champ talked to us about what it's like to be an Olympic favorite and now not have an Olympics to go to. We talked about coming back from injuries and how it took her a decade to become an overnight sensation. Plus, she's got her eye on 70.3 Worlds this November, and she shares some things she learned from her first 70.3. But first, I chatted with our very own Brad Kolb about the triathlon landscape, how pros are making a living through all this, and we got into some speculation about what could happen with Kona. Before we dive into it, though, one quick note. In this age of social distancing, we're still figuring out recording remotely and all the quirks of these first few episodes. Bear with us through a couple of hiccups and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss anything coming in the next few weeks. Now, let's get to it. All right. So welcome, Brad. I refer to you as our very own Brad Cult, but I guess by that I mean we pay you small amounts of money to write (laughs) stuff for us. Uh, but the reason I want to talk to you was in the past, you, I mean, you've worked all kinds of places. You worked for Lava, you worked for the ITU, you've done all the things in triathlon, right? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. And, uh, and now you're in Chicago and, uh, and you just had a kid, which I, I guess would be crazy right now in the current, uh, Corona, post-Corona world. It's a little nuts. Yeah, it's uh, she's a week old today, um, so we've been home with her for uh, four days now. Um, so it's starting to become more more routine and calming down a bit, and she's sleeping a bit. Um, but honestly, like we'd be kind of quarantined anyway right now. <laughs> right. Um, like I, I wouldn't be leaving the house much, um, aside to sneak in a little run here or there. Um, so aside from the grandparents not being able to help out, like they both just moved closer to us um, just like a few months ago, so that they could you know, be by the baby. Um, and now like they, they can see her through the window and, you know, we can talk to him, you know, out the garage, but that's about it. Um, yeah. so that's a little weird. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's been a good distraction though. Like we went five or six days without turning on the news and like, you know, hearing our president's voice, which is kind of refreshing. So it's not all yeah, bad. I have been watching too much news. It's yeah. Not, that would be my pro tip for everyone. Turn off the news, turn off the internet. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's like every morning on Twitter, you see people being like, oh, I'm going to boycott, you know, the Trump briefing. And then those same people like, you know, in the afternoon are just going crazy on Twitter about everything he's saying. So well, I that's definitely, probably true of everything on Twitter, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been spending way too much time on Twitter because I've been just sitting looking at a baby changing diapers and I need to get off Twitter for sure. And, and in everything going crazy, obviously, in the, in the post-corona uh, world, everything's gone nuts in the sports world and triathlon, too, which is, is of course, what we want to talk about. Because we usually hire you to cover pro racing, and now there is no pro racing. Like, there is no racing. Pretty much everything's been canceled through April, May. Some things are canceled in June. Some things aren't yet. They announced the Olympics, obviously, last week. The Olympics are not canceled, but postponed. They'll be happening July, starting July 23rd, 2021, even though they're still going to call them the 2020 Olympics, whatever. Um, sure. So I guess I wanted to talk a little bit because you used to work for the ITU. And so I want to talk a little bit about the logistics of the Olympics. I mean, 
we know that the athletes are adjusting their schedules, kind of trying to come to terms with this, but what goes on behind the scenes to change? Like they have to change all of the calendars. Now they have to change their whole schedule for this year, for next year. I've been trying to wrap my head around like everything that has to happen now. Yeah. Obviously qualification is a big thing. Um, that's going to be impacted. Um, and you know, that'll, that's still mostly a federation issue. Like each federation really controls their own qualifying. Like the ITU decides how those 110 Olympic spots uh, go out, but then it's up to the, each federation to decide how they want to divvy them up. Um, I, I imagine they'll try to get like a Yokohama this year was supposed to be sort of a, an Olympic trials kind of race for a lot of countries and that it was the last one of the qualification, um, Air, uh, window so a lot of a lot of federations were using that as kind of a um, either for their discretionary spots or automatic qualifier um, ideally they'll still have they'll be another race you know maybe it's not in Japan but um, maybe there's a race early next year that kind of fills that void and, and people use that um, as kind of a second Olympic trials um, if not you know if we were literally you know if this screws up anything going into the 2021 IT schedule which hopefully it won't um, then I think you're going to see just it, a lot more discre- a lot more countries doing what Australia does or what Great Britain does and doing basically everything by discretion. Um, or I guess just Australia does that now. Oh, I uh, thought Great Britain still did the like, we're going to give them to whoever we want. They, they might, yeah, I, I can't really keep track. They, they might, but I feel like they also had like um, an automatic means they have of one getting, automatic, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they screwed up with the whole holding hands thing and... <laughs> Yeah, the test event was a bit of a mess last year. but um, Well, so with qualification, I guess the big question or a big question is kind of the people who have, have already qualified, you know, will they keep their spots? And and right now, most places, most countries, most uh, governing bodies are saying, you know, if they already qualified, they're staying that way. And I certainly, Summer Rappaport is the only American who's already qualified. And I certainly think, you know, she should keep her spot. We shouldn't make her like re-earn it. Yeah, we shouldn't take it away sure. from her. Um but I know that's kind of a question that like keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I saw, I think it was Des Linden tweeted about it because someone had proposed that they rerun the U S marathon trials, which is absurd. Um, and so obviously some people have brought it up and, and I get that, you know, qualifying almost a year and a half now ahead of the games is not ideal. And, and, you know, an athlete could be a totally different athlete. Um, and ultimately what federations want is your best chance of getting a medal. That's, that's, other funding is based off of that's what everything's about getting medals. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe a year from now, summer is in our, uh, doesn't represent our best chance to get a medal. And maybe there's someone who looks, you know, is in amazing form because that happens so much in ITU where one season someone just gets crazy hot. Like right. I remember the, the year I worked for ITU, um, Paula Finley was like unstoppable. Like she was winning every single race and we're like, Oh my God, she's totally going to win. She's has to win a gold in London. And then two years later, like she was maybe that, you know, she had a lot of injuries and she was probably the 10th or 15th best athlete in the world. So you see those crazy swings, um, especially in IT racing. Um, and you know, we, we might see that we might, there might be a U.S. athlete who's kind of off the radar right now. It gets really hot and should be on the team. But like you said, summer qualified, it's, it's, she's got her slot. Um, no matter what happens, um, she's definitely a lock and should be um and the relay throws a kind of weird wrench you know that was already changing the qualification so much and how countries are trying to you know maximize their chances of getting a medal there um especially for the u.s because 
you have to figure outside of Katie winning an individual medal, our, our best chance to win a medal is, is in that relay. Um, so, you know, they, I know the U S wants to be really careful about making sure that however they pick those five or six athletes, um, there are four of them who, who could, you know, could be a really great relay. Yeah, that's what uh, Sarah Chu and I were talking last week, and she is apparently on the selection committee, which I didn't realize. So she was giving me insight into like, yeah, they really want a medal. And it's a much different if, a different thing you pick for when it's a 15-minute race versus a 20-minute race. Right. That's a different skill set. Um, yeah, and that's why like um, I look at Ben Canute on the men's side, probably not the most deserving in terms of he's, he's racing so much other stuff and he really is a 70.3 specialist right now. At this point. I mean, yeah, it's hard to count him out, but obviously. Yeah. But for a relay, like just in terms of the sheer power he can put out on a short and fast bike and run like that, like he's probably our best relay athlete. Um, especially if, if, you know, we get dropped and you need someone on that final leg to close a huge gap on the bike. He's one of the only athletes in the world who can do that. Um, so like from a relay standpoint, I'm like, man, we really need Ben on the team. Um, but then you look at the individuals that would be left out if he was picked. And um, it, this, it's, is, this is what's difficult uh, about an Olympic team, right? This is, there's always a heartbreak. There's always somebody who's happy. There's always somebody who's broke, like heartbroken. That's how it works. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that Sarah's the, I knew there was one athlete rep on the selection committee out of the five people. I'm glad to hear it, Sarah, because um, yeah, she's, uh, she's got a good head on her shoulders and you know, I think we'll help steer that committee in the right direction. Yeah, that's what she uh, told me last week. She was giving us some insight on the, this podcast last week. So the other, I mean, besides the Olympics, though, in long course racing, I don't even know what those athletes are going to do. Almost all their races are gone. And a lot of them, you know, they make their money through sponsors. They make their money through prize money. Without races, they don't have, you know, a governing body necessarily uh, funding them. And so a lot of them, I don't even think they're making any money right now. Once you get outside of the top 10, once you get outside of like Daniela, Lucy, mm-hmm. Jan, um, it's, it's going to be tough for a lot of those guys. And it doesn't look like they're going to have races really until July yeah, at that's best. Kind of best. Yeah, that's, I, I was just talking with Andrew Stark was this morning and um, he's one of those athletes who's in that boat of, of he makes his money by racing a lot and winning a lot of races. And um, the the money he's got coming from sponsors is more incentive based. It's not like he's getting a, a base salary or anything. Um, so, I mean, that's so much of his income is just dried up. Um, and yeah, he was saying the same thing. He's like, you know, my best case scenario is, is we start racing in July or August. And then, you know, we just have to race a ton to, to make up that, you know, you might have to race three or four times a month if you can um, to just, you know, make what you can and, and get what you can out of the season. I do wonder how that's going to end up looking with all of the races now rescheduled for September, October, Mm -hmm. November, and everybody going to be trying to target those races. They're going to be intense. Like there's going to be a lot of people at a, like these few races in this very small window. It's going to be, I don't even know how it's going to pan out yet, basically. Yeah. It should make for some great pro races. I mean, (laughs) say Ironman St. George actually goes off and I think it's September. They rescheduled before. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and say that's one of, one of the races with a ton of qualifying spots. Um, you know, you might just see a, a field that's almost as competitive as Kona, um, you know, even better than, you know, Frankfurt or Roth usually is. Um, so yeah, it could, uh, it'll make for a very interesting season, um, a very weird season. And, um, yeah, but, uh, like you said, that's kind of best case scenario at this point is July, August, September, we start seeing a lot of races springing up. 
Yeah, so there's certainly a possibility. And uh, I mean, you mentioned this in your column you write for us this week, and, and a couple people have mentioned it to me, and, and it's kind of starting to be talked about. There's certainly a possibility that Kona gets affected, like that we do start to see races, you know, that far out be rescheduled or postponed or canceled. Um, I don't think we can make that call at this point. I don't think they are planning on that happening right now, to be clear, like to be very clear, Kona is still on for October 10th or whatever, as is. But if this continues to get worse and worse and worse, particularly in light of more and more qualifying events are getting canceled, pushed, like, and pushed outside the qualification window for, t- for 2020, um, it's raising a lot of questions that I don't think Iron Man even has answers to yet. Like, a lot of people are emailing me asking me these questions, and I don't think Iron Man knows what to do yet. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, pretty much every conversation I've had with industry people in the last week has been, is Kona going to happen? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Iron Man <laughs> has no idea. Like, you know, they're, they're, we're all in the same boat here, which... Um, right. I guess it's good. You know, there's no one to blame if Kona's canceled. It's not like, oh, Iron Man canceled Kona. Like, it's not their fault. No one, no one's been through this before. No one knows where it's going. Um, and yeah, as I wrote this week, um, I, my bigger concern with the cancellation would be the state of Hawaii is is um, just like we're not going to bring in people from all over the world onto one little island that's right now um, pretty much unaffected. They got 12 cases that they know of on the big island. Um, and I think they would like to keep that number very small because, you know, over in Oahu, it's, it's starting to spread and get a lot worse. Um, right. So obviously Kona is a huge part of, of uh, Kona's economy, um, that race, um, as is the cruise industry. I mean, that's really the biggest part of their economy. And obviously they're not going to be opening up to cruises anytime soon. Um, you know, so we'll see how they kind of, I think they're going to be the ones letting Ironman know, like, yes, this is a possibility. Um, vacation happen and, and you guys figure out that component. Um, but it's really up to, to Hawaii to, to, you know, tell Ironman where they're going. Yeah. And if it does happen, which, um, you know, I certainly hope it does. And I hope, I hope we're in a place in the world at that point that, you know, this isn't a concern anymore. But if it does, there are still all these questions about qualification. Because um, I was just looking at someone had crunched the numbers, you know, what number of slots should have been allocated over this month, next month, and now won't fall in the 2020 qualification window. And so how will that be allocated? And uh, it would be pure speculation. I don't know, right? Like, I don't have any answer. But, you know, Ironman, I think probably has a number of choices here. They could add spots to other races. They could do some kind of discretionary thing. They could open up the, the legacy or the foundation or charity spots. Um, they could do lots of things. Uh, and I, I would love, I think I told you this, I, one idea that I had was they could raise more money sell off some of those extra spots and, and donate it to COVID research, right? Mm-hmm. That would be an option. I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be an option. No, it, but <laughs> it's definitely a big opportunity for, uh, you know, for the Ironman Foundation to really, you know, to do something big here. If they, if you know, they, they're kind of throwing their hands up, how are we going to give out 2,000 age group spots? Um, yeah, make a whole bunch of them, uh, you know, spots to benefit the foundation or, uh, yeah, benefit COVID research or, um, you know, fighting COVID in, in Hawaii maybe. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised to see that. Um, obviously, Iron Man is losing a ton of money this year. Um, they're being hit harder than probably any race producer in the world because they put on more big events than just about anyone else. Um, so it, they've got a bottom line to worry about. They've got new owners who you know, don't want to lose uh, a ton of money on this. 
Um, so yeah. I think they're going to try to find a way to, to still, um, you know, make some money back at the end of the year. Um, somehow they, yeah, somehow they sold to new owners in the middle of all this. And I, kudos to them. I don't know how that happened. So Yeah. I thought I was hallucinating. I was like 12 hours after my daughter was born. I hadn't slept. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, I'm like what the guys on discovery channel about Iron Man, right? Like, like it was, it, yeah. Odd timing. Um, you know, maybe they got it at a discount because everything <laughs> was down. Um, it 700 million is still a lot of money. Yes. Um, I guess it's good, um, to get Iron Man out of the hands of the Chinese and into the hands of a media company. Like, obviously working in media um that sounds good um but i don't know from an operational standpoint point i don't think anything changes you know um it'll still be the same people running the ship at iron man i I would imagine for the most part um so i really don't know that no no i think it'll still i think on the ground um because i spent a lot last week trying to figure out how this would affect you know the regular age group athletes and i don't think it's really going to a ton at least in the immediate you know obviously you could speculate long term but i there's no reason to think anything will change. I think they'll still put on good events. I think they still will have all of their regular operations people running everything. Um, it's just a question of, you know, what are the other potential opportunities mm-hmm. moving forward, you know, media wise or getting into new areas, which they did also announce they are launching a virtual racing series. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not shocking given that all racing is being canceled, it's just a little shocking given how quickly they turned out their new virtual racing series. I mean, they, they pretty quickly announced after kind of all of these cancellations took place that, you know, ta-da, we have a new virtual club platform. We're going to have virtual races. It's all going to be happening super fast. And, and my understanding is it's their own proprietary service. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, we're going to host a Zwift ride. Like, that's not mm-hmm. what's happening they're launching their own app essentially. Yeah. They've obviously been investing a lot in, on the technology side, um, you know, in the last year or so with, um, you know, the racing app and, and, uh, the, the coaching app as well that I know, um, I'm sure this will be very tied into that. Um, uh, I, I would imagine that they want people using, doing the virtual racing and also using their virtual training app. Um, but in, they were, they partnered with some company to build that. I can't remember the name. Um, cause I don't do virtual stuff. Right. I was like, let's all speculate. Cause I don't do virtual stuff either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, re- I don't wear a watch when I run. Like <laughs> I, I, I try to be as unvirtual as possible with, uh, with swim, bike and run. Um, not, not saying anything against it. Like it, it, I think it's great that people have an opportunity to race and, um, I, I think it's awesome that people can sit in their garage or in their basement and ride a bike for two hours. Uh, I think that sounds insane. Um, I used to do it when I first started doing triathlons, like back in college, I remember doing like five and six hour rides inside. Um, I, I was, would never, ever do that again. I don't know what, I, what was wrong with me. Um, but if you can put up with that, uh, and that's your thing, more power to you. It's amazing that some pro athletes are so you know, get so much out of the virtual training. You look at what, like how Lucy Charles trains, how Lionel Sanders trains, uh, how Andy Potts has always trained. He, he was kind of the first to go kind of all indoors. Um, it's, yeah. it, it, it's really effective training. Like you can, you know, you can do things inside that you certainly can't do outside, um, you know, safely. Um, uh, just, 
yeah, it doesn't work for me, but if uh, people want to get on there and, and have a virtual Ironman race, uh, I guess without the swim. Right. Um, That's what I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about how this is going to work once it launches, because it launches yeah. this week and then their first races are this weekend. And, um, and they will have like two pros going head to head this weekend in a virtual race. And then they will also open it up to age group athletes. And there are a lot of questions like, what do you do with the swim? Is this like a GPS thing, which I think it's a GPS based thing? Yeah. Or is it a smart trainer thing? You know, how does it's this got to be easy to cheat? Like, I, I well, that's I also a question is how are right. they going to crack down on cheating? They said they're figuring it out. It's going to be somewhat like heart race, GPS based to double check if you're cheating. Um, okay. Cause they want to hand out 70.3 world spots. So they're going to have to crack down on cheating. They can't just take your word. Yeah, that, that, that seems to be the craziest part is that they're handing out spots, to the world championship. And I mean, I think that goes to show what a weird time we're living in is like, People are going to, we're going to have this strange virtual race and that's going to decide, you know, who's, who's racing and, and, you know, one of the marquee events in the world. Um, yeah. It's bizarre. There's also a lot. I mean, honestly, I think the virtual space is a little crowded right now. There's just so many. Um, Zwift was even crashing last week because there were so many people on it. You know, everyone kind of launched their own personal ride slash run. They're hosting that I'm curious, you know, if this is going to take off, like if there is still a space for, for a need for more virtual racing, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I guess it depends on how long, you know, people, if in a few weeks we hear that all right, races in August and September, it looks like they're actually going to happen. Um, you know, maybe people relax a bit and re like just start looking, looking at this as like a really long off season and start gearing up, you know, to, for real races uh, in the middle of summer. But if this is, you know, goes on any longer, I think, um, you know, maybe not people like you and me, it seems like we're both uh, uh, very anti-virtual, but um, maybe I just don't like, I just don't want to like spend more time with people, Brad. I like, <laughs> don't need to talk to more people. <laughs> no, no. The, the nice part about swim, bike and run is that it's a great way to isolate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I really don't do much group training. Um, you know, aside from occasional master swim, um, still love a master swim, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, this really hasn't changed much as far as my training goes. Uh, I have noticed that a lot more people are out on the running trails, um, which yeah. is cool. Um, and I, it's where I live, I'm, I'm, you know, 50 miles from Chicago. It's, it's pretty remote and it's not like it's crowded and you have to worry about distancing. Um, so for me, it's been great to see. And I, I almost feel like th there might be a running boom, you know, a year from now, a year and a half from now, because, I see neighbors that I know have never run before and now they're out for a jog and out for a bike ride. Um, I think, you know, it could ultimately be a good thing, but that is a, that is what I'm hearing is that there is a, a running boom coming because every, it's kind of the thing you can do right now. So all these people who used to go to the gym or used to go to spin classes, mm -hmm. you're allowed in a lot of places, even here where we're at a shelter and home order, you're allowed to go for a run for some short exercise. And it is like the one way kind of, then you get outside, you get some sun. So here it is a little crowded. It's a, like the, they are having to close the parks and the trails because it got a little overrun. Mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate, but we'll they, have, have they closed the beaches up by you? They, they closed all the beaches in LA. I'm up in NorCal and uh, nobody was swimming at the beaches anyway. So, cause it's 48 degrees in the water. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how this all pans out, but yeah, it will be interesting to see if there continues to be a running boom after this. Um, and if everybody comes over to triathlon, that would be nice. We all like convince them to come over to triathlon after this is over. Yeah. And I feel like if there's a huge running boom, like it ultimately trickles down to that's kind of how triathlon took off too. It was like, right. we were right behind the, 
the running boom is, is this kind of this next step, like do a half marathon and, you know, maybe come do a sprint triathlon. Um, so yes, yes, everyone is welcome. Um, I will tell all my neighbors who I've all of a sudden seen out running that, uh, you know, they should get a bike and I'll give them a free swim lesson and <laughs> start to recruit a, whole, a bunch more triathletes. There you go. Everybody go out and recruit one person for after this is over. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I was going to ask you. I usually would ask people what their plans are for the rest of the year, what their predictions are, but I feel like right now, no one knows. So yeah, it'd be pointless I, uh, to ask. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very, very cautiously optimistic that we'll, uh, we'll have a Kona and a, a 70.3 Worlds and all that at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I think that it's a very real possibility that it doesn't happen. And I think it's, um, you know, it's good for people to kind of come to terms with that. And I think it was good that Roth canceled early instead of doing what the Tour de France is doing is being like, yeah, we're still planning on having a Tour de France, which seems crazy at this point. Seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so who knows, but the good part is, you know, uh, biking and running at least is still in business for most of us. And it's kind of a nice time to get out and remind yourself why you enjoy those things. It's not all about racing and, and competing. Sometimes it's just, you know, biking, running, and swimming whenever the pools and beaches open. They're fun things to do, and they're good for you. So They're good for you. Yeah. See, there you go. Ultimately, we'll all get healthier. Well, yeah. hopefully. Let's hope. Hopefully. Yeah, some of us. So, well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us, and we're going to take a short break, and then after the break, Flora Duffy will be joining us to talk about how she's coping with full-on lockdown and the Olympics being canceled and where she goes from there. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Hi, guys. I just wanted to cut in here to say thank you for listening to our first ever podcast, The Triathlete Hour. And uh, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, so that you won't miss any of the things we have planned or coming. All interviews, news, everything you want to know about triathlon. Now, let's get back to it. All right. So we have Flora with us today. Thank you, Flora, for joining us from South Africa, where you guys are on lockdown. Like, what day are you on? You're not allowed to leave your house. Is that right? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yes, I am on a 21-day lockdown. This is day four, and it's Monday. Um, and so far, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but my day is not that different. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had the same thing happen. Yeah, we went on yeah. like shelter at home, and I was like, oh, this doesn't change anything for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, like, welcome to my life, everybody. This is... Uh, I mean, the one big thing is obviously I can't leave my house to go train, um, but I'm quite nicely set up. I have an indoor bike room with my Zwift and my Wahoo Kicker, and I just had to like buy a treadmill in like 24 hours because I realized I wasn't going to be able to leave my house to go run, so it was a complete panic. Um, then I have nice little gym equipment, and the one thing that like really helped me was that four weeks ago, I broke my hand. That helps you? Very well, it helped me because it's a very embarrassing way how I broke my hand, but we can get to that later. <laughs> but it helped prepare me because it cut away the swimming. So I was already used to not swimming and I was already riding indoors because I wasn't allowed to ride outdoors. So like it was a nice like intro into what lock true lockdown would be like. So for so me, it's fine. A, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. You guys like literally aren't allowed to go outside, right? Is that the, you have to stay inside completely? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we can go outside into our yard, but yeah, you're not supposed to go walk around the neighborhood unless you're going to the grocery store. 
which we conveniently have a grocery store like 600 meters from our house. So, I mean, I walk there if I need something. And that's like a nice little like, okay, okay. I'm in the outside world. So you can do that. But you shouldn't be out exercising. You shouldn't be out walking your dog. Like leaving your house for like really bare essentials like groceries or uh, medical reasons or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Cause we here in the U S yeah. we haven't gone that strict yet. You're allowed to exercise outside still, but there's a lot of debate over what does that entail? You know, maybe you shouldn't be doing two a days outside. Maybe you could chill out a little, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, obviously like you've, like you said, you already injured your hand. You had a lot going on. How have you been dealing with all of this then? Now you can't even go outside. I mean, I feel like I would just give up. I would just be like, Screw it. <laughs> give up. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Well, it was a pretty hard week because the same day, like literally the same day we got announced we're going into 21 day lockdown was the same day I found out that the Olympics was postponed. So it was just like, I mean, I was like, oh my God, like everything my whole life has been like building for like my professional life. Right. It's just like not going to happen this year. Um, and then you find out, okay, well, now you can't leave your house for 21 days. Um so, I mean, in my, you know, my tri- tiny little triathlon world, that was just like, I don't know, crazy for me to deal with. Um, but in the reality, of course, it all makes sense with the coronavirus and what's going on in the world and, um, you know, and all of that. Uh, but yeah, it's just been a lot to deal with. And you're like, well, what do I even do now? Do I need to be stressing that I'm not swimming? Because like, am I even going to race this year? No. Nobody else is swimming. Nobody else is training properly. So in one hand, that's like kind of comforting. You're like, I'm not the only one um, over here. But at the same time, you're like, why Why am I doing this training day in and day out if I'm not going to race? Um, yeah. But I guess literally it gives me something to do. Like it passes the time. So that's, the time. that's my motivator right now. <laughs> it passes the time. There are like two people who have those fancy master spas, and I think they're going to beat everyone once we're oh finally God. racing. I'm again. so jealous of them. <laughs> yeah, that's like oh, every triathlete is like those people. I can't believe it. Yeah, um, but hey, great time to have one. Yeah, yeah. So you obviously, I mean, your whole plan this year, all the Olympians fans were like aiming for four months from now, Tokyo. How do you kind of adjust your season? Obviously, it's hard to adjust your season right now because you don't even know what's going to happen. But assuming we get racing again by August, how do you kind of adjust your training, your plan? I saw on the Instagram, you said you had very different plans for 2021. And I had been like, really hoping (laughs) that a bunch of you were going to come out to 70.3 Worlds because I know you got your spot, like Ashley Gentle got her spot. And I thought it was going to be so exciting. All these Olympians show up after the Olympics in November move up to 70.3. But now I'm wondering, are you guys still going to do that? Is that still a thing? What were your plans? Yeah. The now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, every, yeah. Everything has shifted a year. Okay. So of course I was expecting to race the Olympics this year. That was the big goal. And then I was hoping to have like um, a bit more of a relaxed 2021. Um, of course the WTS grand final is in Bermuda. So that is a huge, huge target for 2021. And so I'd still race the WTS series, but I was quite keen to um, sort of dip my toe in to the 70.3 distance a little bit more, um, do a few more races. So kind of combine the two, which I think is kind of a 
kind of a fun, I mean, I really enjoy racing and I enjoy racing different formats. So doing sort of both um, is actually like fun for me. So yeah, it was like, it's like a cool new challenge. Right. Um, but of course, die next year, maybe I can do 170.3. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a very different year if everything is going to be then focused on the Olympics, which I just announced will start July 23rd, 2021. So, right. So that kind of moves everything... the whole schedule then, like both ways. Yeah, it does. So, which, I mean, I don't know, to some people that might seem, oh, it's just a year, but it's like, it's it's a lot building up for an Olympics, like particularly when you're, you're a medal favorite, like you have that looming over you for another year. Like I, it, like when I go home to Bermuda or even just, just generally around like in the triathlon circles, it's like, it's pretty much weekly, daily that someone brings up about, Oh, the Olympics. Oh, you try to win a medal. Oh, this, that. I'm like, yes, I am. Can we not talk about it? All Can the time? We not talk about it? <laughs> yes. It's like, it's just healthy pressure, Flora. I'm like, yes, uh-huh. thank you. <laughs> you are, I mean, like, I would imagine Bermuda, I mean, Bermuda's interesting because <laughs> you were a big enough celebrity before you won the WTS race in Bermuda. Now I have to imagine, <laughs> like, everywhere you go, people are stopping you, right? Yeah, that that race, I mean, because, yeah, you were there, was that... Um, like, two years ago. And, 20, yeah. yeah, January 2018. So before the first, uh, first one of the WTSs there, right? Yeah, yes. that's when, yeah, that's when I came. Yeah. I thought you were still, like, a yeah. pretty big celebrity then. But yeah. now I have to imagine it's, like, kind of crazy. Now it's exploded. Well, that and then Commonwealth Games that year as well. So that was in March 2018. And then six weeks later was WTS Bermuda. So the combination of those two is just like, like explosion. (laughs) Um, But it's, I mean, it's incredible. It's so cool that the community all came out to support the race and that um, they can get so excited about triathlon and yeah. I mean, sport just bringing the community together. is just such a wonderful thing. I feel like we should tell for people who don't know, Flora grew up in Bermuda, which is a tiny (laughs) island. Yeah. Like we rode all the way to the end of the island on our bikes when I was there two years ago. And I think it took two hours round trip. Like it's a tiny island and she's a very big celebrity there, um, which is like kind of hilarious because I don't think triathletes are big celebrities other places, but in Bermuda, what is it? I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what it's like growing up in Bermuda for both it being tiny. You guys are also really good at triathlon. Like Tyler Butterfield's also from there. The mixed team relay got what third at the Commonwealth Games. I mean, you only have like four elite triathletes and you got third yeah. in the relay. So, wait, we, we weren't quite third. We were fifth, but that's oh, okay. still very, very good. I'm pretty sure we were fifth. Yeah, but no, you're right. Like, we literally have four triathletes that race at, I guess, like pro level. Right. Elite, Tyler yeah. doesn't even do ITU anymore. So, we are grateful that Tyler Butterfield came back down from Ironman distance to race at the Commonwealth Games. And it just gave us this incredible opportunity to have Bermuda, tiny Bermuda, 65,000 people compete at the mixed team relay of Commonwealth Games, which like for a lot of people, like to realize how much went into having four of us to race at that level, like it's, yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, somehow triathlon is a fairly big sport in Bermuda. It's very well supported in terms of like the community is very involved. The the Bermuda Triathlon Association 
have a lot of really great members that just help promote the sport. We have lots of great events throughout the year. Um, so it has its own little following there and it's just managed to produce, yeah, Tyler Butterfield, myself, Erica Holy, and Tyler Smith. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird, especially like when in Boulder and both Tyler and I turn up to the pool, Butterfield, and you're like, how are there two of us from Bermuda here swimming in Boulder? Like it just always makes me smile. Um, but yeah, Bermuda is a beautiful little island. Um, it was incredible to grow up there. I mean, just hanging on the beach all day, riding my bike around on the railway trail. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an incredible little place. And I'm so grateful that that's where I'm from and that's where I get to call home and that I get to, I don't get to spend too much time there anymore because of my racing and traveling. But, um, every time I get to go back and when I got to introduce my husband to the island like that was such a special privilege and to see the island through his eyes and see like the love he's cultivating for the place it's yeah it's just so cool so special because you guys now so your husband's dan hugo who is from south africa so you guys now spend like half your time in south africa half in boulder and then you like go back to bermuda sometimes and you're flying around the world for races um it's pretty much like you and like, he goes with you pretty much everywhere right and that's kind of how that works or um, yes, it does. So I'm very lucky that he can now join me and like pretty much fully supports me. He does have his own, uh, he doesn't just, uh, he doesn't just support bad to just support me, but that's not Dan. Dan would know. He, he needs a lot, lot more. He's like the most busy, busiest man I know. Um, but no, he's got a, he has a nut butter business in South Africa called Butternut. And so he and his business partner, Antoine, um, they run that full time. Luckily, Dan uh, has the flexibility to do his role from anywhere in the world. So he can spend spend sort of six months in Boulder, six months um, in Stellenbosch. When he's here in Stellenbosch, I don't see him that much because he goes into work every day. Um, but then in Boulder and during the race season, he's with me. Yeah, 24-7 supporting me, which is a huge, huge help. Um, that hasn't always been the case. It's only... I would say the second half of 2017 and 2018, he was support like full-time going to races with me. So there's a lot of races in 2016. I would just rock up to solo, which is <laughs> kind of funny when I think back to it. I'm like, how did I do that? Um, Cause now like the thought of going to race alone, I'm like, no way. Um, but yeah, it's such a big help having him there to support me and literally like do everything. So I just, I just have to turn up and swim bike run. <laughs> It's easy. It's not hard. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, and I don't, I mean, I'm not going to like characterize our listeners. Maybe they all have been following your career since you were like 16, but a lot of people I feel like think Laura Duffy, like, oh, she just like popped into the scene a few years ago and it was like really good. People kind of don't realize you've been doing it since you were a kid. You were like a super good as junior. I don't remember if you won junior world or whatever, but you were very, then you went to the Olympics like at like 16, 17 kind of totally crashed out of the sport, quit for a long time, and then like came back around slowly, like had to deal with. So it's like this very long story that like, it's kind of taking you a long time to get here, which I think actually a lot of our like listeners and readers would really appreciate, you know, because a lot of them have like ups and downs. It's not actually easy, right? It's not just like one day you woke up and we're like, oh, I'm going to be a world champion. It took like, yeah. a really long time. Um so yeah, I'm hoping maybe you can just like tell us a little bit about like, like I don't, I, that wasn't a question. That was just like, FYI, guys. <laughs> like, 
(laughs) (laughs) But maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that's like, like just to like, why did you come back after you quit? You know, how did you even like keep at it for so long? Yeah, so I, I was I was second at Junior Worlds at 18, and at the same time as racing junior, I raced in a few, it was only World Cups at the time, but that was the equivalent of WTS. Um, so I was 18 racing in like the big leagues and had a few really good results and sort of burst onto the scene. Um, but for me as an 18-year-old, that was just, I don't know, too much for me to deal with. I, I went up to the Olympics, but just had all sorts of struggles and I just really needed to step back from the sport um, for various, various reasons. And so I did. And I went to the University of Colorado and I forgot about triathlon. I joined a <laughs> sorority, <laughs> which, which was fun, but it wasn't quite me. So that was kind of like my epiphany moment of like, oh my gosh, Flora, <laughs> you need to get back into triathlon. Like, that that's you. This is not you. Stop. You know, you tried, but you tried to be a sorority girl, but no. Yeah, no, didn't work. So at that time I was like, um, around 21, 22. And then sort of from there, I just slowly got back into training. Um, I joined the sea cycling team, did a lot of cycling races, which I just really enjoyed. And that sort of kind of got my competitive spirit back and then eventually bit the bullet and did my first World Cup. It was, um, oh gosh, I have to really, June 2010. And it was the High V World Cup. And at that time, that was like the big money World Cup. Right, so right. It, all the stars were there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, why'd you choose this one as your first one back? Um, but the race went pretty well. And um, I think I was, I was top 20, which I was pumped about. Like I was like 20th as I say top 20, <laughs> but like I was thrilled with that. And then just from there, just started like working my way back. But it wasn't, I mean, that was 22 and, uh, oh man, there were so many ups and downs along the way, um, qualified for London, but like literally I'd be like, i freakishly finished fifth in one WTS and then like two weeks later at the next WTS I'd be like 45th and it was just like all over the place um and then eventually things kind of just started clicking a bit more into place if you ask my parents they'll say that's because I met Dan and then I all just, right like, I was like I was like I feel like I <laughs> parents and they were like Dan yeah Dan is the answer <laughs> Dan. Dan is the reason Flora got good at triathlon yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I did. He introduced me to Xterra. I was doing a little bit before that. But really, I mean, he was the top of this game when I met him in Xterra. So I got to learn all from him. And it was just like really fun that we could do it together. And then I just had a bit of success there. Um, I won my first world title in 2014. Xterra. In Xterra, I yeah. Think I, was, I was 26 or 27. And just kind of from there, that I got a lot, lot more of my confidence back. I'd been training pretty solidly for a few years and that just sort of springboarded me back into um, racing. I've then, yeah, just racing back more into the ITU stuff and just came in with a, I don't know, just a new attitude of uh, why, why am I doing this? And also realized I'm doing this full time. So I need to make it work. Like this is my job now. So like, I can't just like sit, you know, swim well, sit around in this pack and then hope I run. Okay. Like, no, I need to, I need to be assertive and I need to make these races, um, try and shape this race so that it suits my strengths. Um, 
so that I can have success. And so that's that's not very not easy to do. And it took me quite a few years to sort of cultivate those skills. Um, but that's just kind of like the mindset that I had. And yeah, it took a lot of work, but I somehow, somehow got there. There's a lot of tears along the way, but <laughs> I managed managed to sort of get myself back there. Yeah, I mean, you obviously then you kind of went like, I don't even, I don't remember exactly, but you went undefeated for a while in 2018, won the world championship. And I think we all were like, oh man, like last year was going to be your year. And then you got injured again, right? And I feel like it's like, little injuries right it's been I can't even keep track but I like yeah and that can be like kind of demoralizing right you get like one injury you solve it you get another you're like yeah yeah oh no I was super injured (laughs) (laughs) so so like kind of this is the timeline 2016 was like somehow freaky out of nowhere Flora like comes onto the scene and is like world number one leading into the Olympics um won my first WTS, which was just like crazy. And then managed to win the world title that year. And then beginning of 2017, I had an injury in my hip. So I missed the first two WTS races and then managed to come back from that successfully. Had a good season. Then I won the, that 2017 um, world title overall. And then 2018 started off great. And then the big injury happened. Um, I had a stress reaction in my navicular and I tore my post-tip tendon right at the assertion into the navicular, which is like, don't do that. That is like the ultimate. That's what it takes like forever to heal, right? Because there's no blood to the area. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't break my navicular, um, which is super, super bad. Um, but mine, I felt like it's like, was like the equivalent of the process to get back but but yeah so that happened at the beginning of 2018 um that was may 2018 i did one more race in 2018 which was a terrible idea but didn't really return to racing until august 2019 that's like a long time yeah most of the 2018 season and most of the 2019 season and now i'm gonna miss most of the 2020 season Oh no, my gosh, Flora. But oh, this God. one's not my fault. Right. I'm ready. You're ready. <laughs> Whatever they call reset, you're ready. Yeah. Minus my hand. Right. Because you have these freak injuries where I feel like on Instagram I see like you got attacked by a dog and then you got your hand stuck yes. in a lane line and broke your finger. <laughs> like what? Yeah, so that also happened. Um that happened four weeks ago. I my hands caught the lane lines. So I don't know if you've ever been swimming and you've clipped the lane line. Yeah. And like, oh, that that hurt. Maybe get a little bit of like a a cut or a bruise. Well, as my hand was entering the water, my pinky got caught in between the lane rope and it got pulled backwards and sideways. And I actually fractured my fifth metacarpal. Um, and it was a spiral fracture, like quite a bad one. Like I saw the X-ray and I was like, oh my gosh. And so then I had to have surgery. So I have a little plate in there. And that was the surgery happened four weeks ago. Um, so you're like, oh, man. So you yes, haven't swum no in a while. No biggie. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really haven't swum in a while. So try not to think about that one. So obviously, um, 
I mean, who knows what plans are? It's like impossible. I feel like so weird when I've been talking to athletes because usually you'd be like, what are your plans for this year? And now you're like, I don't know. No one knows what the plans are. But you did do a 70.3 at the end of last year. And I think I think in the future, you're kind of thinking about doing some of that. Did you like it? How is it different? What did you think about it compared to, I mean, it's way smaller. There was what, like seven girls or something, I'm assuming, in your yeah. field? Yeah. Yeah, it was real small. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, that was that was the beginning of this year, beginning of 2020. So I did 70.3 South Africa, which was the end of January. Right. Um, yeah, so I I did enjoy it. It was very, very different. I mean, I've only, I've raced obviously some Xterra, but primarily just ITU where you line up and there's 60 girls and off you go. And it's very, very intense. Um so this was, yeah, a lot more relaxed. There was, I think, seven girls in the field. Right. Um, and I was one of the stronger sobers, so I kind of just got away and swam at my own pace, which I didn't really know. I was like, how, how hard should I swim? Because <laughs> I've got a long day ahead of me. And, like, I'm used to swimming, like, flat box. Like, right. you know, like, I need to stay on these feet and be as far up as I can. So I was like, okay, well, it's I'm not going to do that because – don't think that's necessary. That's not going to bode well for the other four hours that I'm going to race. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was pretty smooth. And then my coach and I, he came up with some very like very exact um, power zones that I need to stay in, um, which I was like, cool, this is great. This is a long way. And um, a great nutrition plan, which also helped keep me on track um, and just keep me that focus because it's a long, t- long way, 90Ks to ride and I was primarily on my own so yeah, yeah I know I, I like how like I like how like you're like guess what, guess what guys 70.3 is long it's long <laughs> but one thing that really sticks out because in ITU the swim exit through transition and the first five to ten minutes of the bike or the first lap of the bike is like extreme like you are right like trying to make the pack, trying to get off the front, trying to, you've had a bad swim. Like, no, you're, you're hustling. Whereas this, I got on my bike and I just, I ramped up to speed and I was like, Oh, I'm in my power zones. Okay. I'll just, this is what I'm supposed to be riding. Okay, cool. I'll just keep doing this. Like if there wasn't, um, this extreme stress or like, um, I don't know. It was just so strange for me to just be able to go my own pace. Right. Um, and obviously it'll be very different when you go to like a world championships and there's more women around you. Um, but yeah, but then obviously then you hold that for 90 Ks and you're like, well, this is a long way and a long grind. Um, but yeah, I mostly, I think enjoyed the experience. It didn't all go to plan. I had some issues on the bike I didn't spend much time on the TT bike before the race, I have to admit. So So 90K was left, long, is what you're saying. <laughs> it was long. My left glute like completely locked up and I struggled to push power on the way back. And I managed to lose nine minutes and 45 Ks on a mostly downhill section with a mad tailwind. <laughs> so it really went wrong for me. Like because I was leading the first like 45 Ks, I had the moto guys, they were all behind me. The lead car was behind me. Um, so then when I started like majorly having issues and blowing up, they were like, Oh my gosh, like 
what is going on with Fora? Like she's literally not pedaling her bike anymore. So they would like ride up to me and be like, Fora, are you okay? Do you need medical? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. And then like five minutes later, they're like, are you sure you don't need medical? Are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Just having some issues, but I'll be okay. Um so anyway, that that really threw me for a loop, but I just kind of kept remembering this is a long race, so like anything can happen. Just get off the bike, reassess, keep taking your gels in at your at my prescribed intervals that I was meant to be taking them in. And uh then yeah, I got off onto the run and I felt pretty good and uh so yeah, just kind of ran as best I could because I really wanted to qualify for 70.3 worlds at the end of the year and I came off the bike in third and there's only one spot. So I was like, "Okay, Flora, you've just got to get your butt into gear here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I really enjoyed the run. It was nice. Um, the crowd was great. The course was, was, uh, it's really challenging, but I enjoyed it. And it was cool that I've never liked to run amongst the age groupers like that. I, I had a few wondering. friends that were racing the age yeah. group race. So kind of to see them on the course, they shouted at me. Um, yeah. So it was a really unique experience and, um, that I, yeah, that part of it, I really enjoyed because you don't get that in ITU at all. Um, right. That's so what I was, was wondering really cool if you experience. like, yeah, what it was like for you to actually, actually have age groupers around you for a change. Like you've never really done that. Right. So. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Did you feel Sarah Chu and I were talking last week about how there's a lot, I mean, in the U S when she moved up to Ironman distances, uh, she had like way more fans in the U S because like the U S just doesn't really follow ITU as much. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found that? I mean, obviously you haven't done more than one seventy point three, but I'm wondering if that's, if you found that to be true, if it's different since you kind of are international, not just U S based, if you have like ITU fans and like, you know what I'm saying? Do you see, did, did you get yeah, more? No, I totally, I, yeah, I totally know what you mean. Um, I don't know. I think it does make a difference if you are a U.S. based athlete because they, I mean, when I'm in Boulder, I never get asked about ITU. I always get asked, oh, do you do Ironman? Do you do Kona? And I'm like, no. Like, They're like, I did an I Ironman. I did this one other time. one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> no. Um, so, I mean, I definitely did notice there was a fair amount of exposure for, for the race. I mean, also not during the race because there's no live coverage. No one can watch and the tweets are terrible. So, you know, you just yeah. know, like, like my parents following her, she's like, well, Flora's is doing a race. We'll just wait four and a half hours and see what happens. Like, right. yeah, there's a few tweets, but like, you know, no one really knows. Um, so, yeah, I would say pretty even for me at the moment. But I do imagine if I went to a 70.3 world, then I think um, it would be a lot more exposure and really big for my profile, but probably big for my profile combined with my ITU right. background and platform coming into it. I yeah, think, I mean, probably. Because, yeah, like last year, even when like a couple of the Norwegian guys did really well at 70.3 Worlds and everyone who only really follows Ironman racing was like, who are these guys? And you're like, well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yep. So are you, um, again, with the, who knows what the plans are in the future, but are you planning then on after the Olympics, kind of after, you know, Bermuda next year, moving up into 70.3 or longer, or just kind of continuing with WTS, or have you not really decided yet? Or are you just going to do Xterra, like, all the time? <laughs> well, so I said, I think in 2018 that I had a five-year plan okay. of my racing, but that has, which, which involved racing through the Olympics in 2020, 
doing both ITU and 70.3 in 2021, and then perhaps moving up and maybe trying RMM. But after my 70.3 experience, I don't think there's any, I do not see an RMM in my future. <laughs> that is just so long. I don't know what I would do. Um, but but that that has all really shifted because I missed racing most of 2018, most of 2019, and looks like most of 2020. Right. So, um, yeah, everything's a little bit up in the air at the moment. But I definitely um, this year, as long as, as we are able to get back racing this year, I will definitely be 70.3 worlds. That's 100, percent and that is at the end of November. So that's like one. You know, I can be slightly optimistic about doing it. Right, right. Um, but yeah, if the WTS series gets back up and running, I'll be fully into that. That's my primary, primary, primary goal. And then, yeah, my future 2022, um, you know, we'll really have to see. I think a lot will hinge on how the Olympics goes. Um, whether I do continue to race short course or whether I decide I want to fully switched to long course um yeah so it'll be interesting to see where i'm at i also know i'm one of the older women racing the you're like what like 33 i'm 32 but i'm like the <laughs> oldest one in the races <laughs> it's shocking they they put your year of birth on the start list and i'm always like oh my gosh do you need to do that <laughs> um <laughs> but no um, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see, I think I definitely see less Xterra in my future, um, and more 70.3 in that long course sort of bracket. Um, cause that, it really excites me. I think women 70.3 at the moment is really exciting. Like last year in Nice, I was just like dying to be in that race. Like it just looked oh, so yeah. cool on the bike. There was finally like that different, like dynamic and there were so many strong women riding together that you were like Whoa, what is going to happen here and then going up that climb and yeah it was just really exciting which was like a new thing to see um that sort of dynamic in the women's long course racing I oh, yeah, no anyway. it's gotten a lot more competitive at that top level obviously not like every single random yeah. race but at the and then I, yeah. I was also pretty excited about like i thought a lot of you short course athletes were probably going to do worlds in november so i didn't think that was also going to be really interesting this year to see all of that together so yeah totally cool. i agree and and who from the long course side um sort of like your daniela and lucy's who after like a kona would go to do 70.3 because that mm -hmm. they also like they majorly impact the race and shape it. oh yeah um so and yeah i mean i'd hope so i'd love to race with them like oh man this is oh. so cool Oh, it'd be interesting. Now we're all like, everybody's going to have to place their bets. It's going to be very dramatic. So. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> oh, cool. um, other than obviously everything, I feel like, oh, I feel like every time we record something or write something, I have to say like, FYI, today it's March 30th. Everything might change by the time this airs like two days later, because everything's changing like hour by hour right now. It's so tough to know. Um, so that being said, what are you're staying in South Africa for now? And then like, what are your plans the rest of the year from here? Okay. So my plans, yeah, as it stands today. Um, so I was meant to fly April 1st, which I mentioned earlier. So that's not happening. So I'm hoping that flights are up and running in May and I would like to fly back to Boulder 
and base there for the rest of the year and um, just really see what happens with the racing. Hopefully some of it kicks off at some point and um, I'll definitely be there. I mean, I need to race. I haven't raced um, in so long or not yet. I mean, I raced a bit last year, but... I was like, you did the Tokyo yeah, Test to event, right? That was in, like, August? I did. Yeah. That was August. So I raced from August to October last year. So I did a few races, but, you know. <laughs> I'm also very aware that I have sponsors and uh, <laughs> all right. sorts to try and keep happy. So, yeah, hopefully there's some racing. I'll do some ITU stuff. And then, I mean, if there's nothing, if there's... But hopefully 70.3 worlds. I mean, prepare fully for that. That would be a really big goal. And that, that, how the year was supposed to work out was meant to have like three months pretty much. Right. For when the WTS season wrapped up until 70.3 worlds to prepare for that. Um, but no, we'll just have to see. It's all so up in the air. Um, and yeah, just taking it day by day and hoping for the best, really. You're not doing any of the Super League stuff, right? No, I won't be doing any of the Super League events. I'm not part of that series. I can't keep track of who's doing what. So. <laughs> yeah. No, most people do it. Most most of them are doing it, but yeah, I've never yeah. done one. And, um, okay, so last week with Sarah True, to finish out, we played Would You Rather, a weird one, a weird Would You Rather. So here's our, here's my Would You Rather for this week, okay? Given that, you know, the current situation in the world. Would You Rather... Only be able to do your running on a treadmill for the rest of your life, but you can like bike outside and so, or only be able to ride on trainer indoors for the rest of your life, but you can like run outside. Would you rather trainer or treadmill for the rest of your life? Uh, trainer. Easy. Trainer. Really? Oh, I hate the treadmill. Yeah, it's pretty no. terrible. <laughs> it's <is> pretty terrible. <laughs> Unless you ever, yeah, I, I don't have a super good one. So it's just like, I count like the seconds. So yeah, that I, I think I would choose that. Okay. Maybe with my injury history, I should really switch that around. But nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you can't get chased by dogs yeah. indoors. So. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That happened on Christmas Day. <laughs> oh, I feel like someday so we'll have a whole episode <laughs> of just Flora's bizarre injuries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much oh, yeah. for for joining us today and uh, and on this weird little Zoom call thing. Uh, thanks for talking and, and chatting. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thanks to Brad and Flora for joining us today. And thanks to our editor, Kirk, for making us sound good, even as we're on our computers all over the world. And thanks to the triathlete team for, you know, working hard through all this craziness. And I'd like to thank you guys for listening and subscribing wherever you get your podcast and for staying involved in your triathlon community. Keep training and stay tuned for what else we have to bring you.